is Brooke Bollinger, and although she's not in MOPS this year because her children are now a little older, Brooke has been um, an anchor in MOPS for many, many years here at Cape Bible Chapel. Um, she first came to MOPS when her kiddos were little, and I know in the past when she's spoken for us, um, she has talked about what an impact MOPS had on her life, and because she's such a fun speaker and she's a friend of mine, we asked um, her to come talk on a topic that we thought would be relevant this much, this month, which has to do with communication and love. And so um, without further ado, Brooke, if you would come speak for us. Hello. I'm super excited to be here today and return to MOPS because Charlene was not like, I love mops. And if you know me, I really, 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 really love mops. And um, I graduated from mops last year. <laughs> I was just telling Nikki that I'm going to have to adopt so that I can <laughs> come back. And so I started attending mops 10 years ago when my 10-year-old, he's like here now, and he was a newborn. Like, it, it just, it flew by. And I cannot tell you, tell you the, um, just the amount of encouragement that mops brought me as a new mother. Like, I told myself I was going to cry. This isn't even a topic to cry about, and I'm going to cry today. <laughs> Connie already made me cry. I, it's, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, so, and just thinking back over the years, there are so many speakers um, that just still stick out in my mind and specific things that they said that I will always remember and were tools for me as a mother because I didn't know what I was doing. I still don't know what I'm doing. Um, and just the friendships that God brought me um, in MOPS, it's just priceless to me. I'm so, I'll stop now. I just really love MOPS. <laughs> okay, so I, I, I'm so thrilled to see you guys here because it, it warms my heart to see you in a place that I know is just going to truly bless you and encourage you. And so as someone now who no longer has preschoolers, I feel like I've, you know, stepped into <laughs> another season and I can return and just tell you with assurance it gets so much easier. <laughs> it doesn't. They're lying. It doesn't get easier. <laughs> This is why I want to speak today is because I need you guys. Can I come back, please? <laughs> it's still so hard. I'm sorry. I'm going to compose myself because that's not helpful, is it? It's not helpful to hear that it doesn't get easier, but it doesn't. So just prepare yourself. Okay, this is going to be encouraging. <laughs> okay, let's turn a corner here. Okay, so all joking aside, uh, I really am. I'm excited to talk to you guys today about the different love languages. Um, and how you can let love be your loudest voice. I want to start uh, with a little video clip real fast. Je t'aime. Kochamcha. Mahal kipa. Ich liebe dich. Anna bahabek. Aish teru. Nakupenda. Chandrakun. Chiamo. Sakapo. Sarange. Te amo. Me tum se piar kartao. Ifatwa kai. Amir hevata. Wa aini. So, if you didn't figure it out already, that was I Love You in 19 different languages. 
And I just wanted to use that as an illustration today to show you that when we think of the people that we love, um, we want to make sure that we tell them that we love them. However, you know, our efforts can be futile if we tell them in a language that, that they don't speak, that they don't understand. Uh, you know, we could say, I love you a million times a day, but if we're speaking a foreign language, you know, our efforts are completely pointless. So today's talk is going to focus on languages, uh, specifically the way we speak love to others, which is timely for me because I just recently began teaching English to children in China. And these children, they're super cute, but they're only like four or five years old, the ones that I have, and they speak zero English. And so interacting with them has been a huge eye-opener for me, um, just the barriers that there are when two people don't speak the same native, native tongue. And so to teach these children, I have to use like a lot of movement and props. I'm like, elephant. You know, I don't hold a book up for an elephant. I have a toy elephant. You get it. And so I have to use a lot of movement, a lot of props, just to convey one word. And a lot of times they still don't even understand, you know, what I'm saying. But my point is, it, it's a lot of work to communicate. And um, the same goes for our relationships with our family and friends. We can do a lot of work trying to show our love for them. But again, if we are speaking a love language that is completely foreign to them, it doesn't matter how many times we do it or how hard you try, they're just not going to understand. So there are three main areas I want to chat about today. First, I want to just briefly summarize the five love languages uh, of marriage and just ways you would use those in adult-type relationships. Some of you may be familiar with these. And then second, I want to focus on the love languages of children and how you apply that to your children, because um, that's the common denominator that brings us all here is our children. And, you know, each of us in this room have children that are very different from each other. In fact, you may have multiple children in your own home who are very different from each other. So understanding that will hopefully be helpful. And then lastly, uh, I would like to just discuss uh, the language of apology. So these three main areas will hopefully give us some insight uh, into areas that maybe we haven't pondered too hard before, but will equip us in our day-to-day -day relationships that we encounter. And so I share this obviously not as some expert, but just a fellow mom who has really been encouraged by Jack, uh, Dr. Chapman's um, information on this topic. So the author, Dr. Chapman, is a graduate of Moody Bible Institute, and he holds a Bachelor of Arts and Master of Arts degree in anthropology and um, from Wheaton College and from Wake Forest University. And he also received a Master's of Religious Education and Doctor of Philosophy degrees from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, just so you know a little bit about him. Obviously, this is not my information. This is his. And he's been married to uh, Carolyn Chapman for 45 years, and they have two adult children, Shelley and Derek. But what I find uh, most appealing about his expertise is just the many years that he spent pastoring and counseling couples and different people from all walks of life. When you listen to him speak, you can hear just the years of experience of why he came to the conclusions that he has about love languages. So let's jump in. The first one is words of affirmation. So one way to express love emotionally is just to use words that build others up. So the book of Proverbs says, the tongue has the power of life and death. 
And, you know, many people don't ever uh, come to learn the tremendous power of just verbally affirming someone else. So verbal compliments or words of appreciation are powerful communicators of love. And they're best expressed through just straightforward word statements of affirmation. So like, you look so handsome in that suit. Wow, you look beautiful today. I really like it when you pick me up on time. That would be one I'd say a lot. Speaking my love language. You always make me laugh. Just different ways of just telling someone that you appreciate them. Um, so it could be spoken word, written cards, letters, anything like that um, with encouraging words and compliments. Um, the second love language is quality time. So by quality time, I mean giving someone your undivided attention. So I don't mean sitting on the couch watching television together, you know, when you spend your time. Watching Netflix, Netflix has your attention, so um, not your spouse. So what I mean is sitting on the couch with the TV off, <laughs> looking at each other and talking, devices put away, and giving the other person your undivided attention. It could mean taking a walk, just the two of you, or going out to eat and looking at each other and talking. Uh, and the third love language is receiving gifts. So almost everything ever written on the subject of love indicates at the heart of love is the spirit of giving. You know, all five of the love languages challenges, challenge us to give something. But for the person whose love language is receiving gifts, it is visible symbols of love that speak loudest to them. Uh, you know, a gift is something you can hold in your hand and say, wow, you know, that person was thinking of me. You, you must be thinking of someone to give them a gift, right? Um, and the gift itself is just a symbol of that thought. It doesn't matter whether it costs money. Uh, what is important is that you thought of that person. And, um, you know, many of you may be able to think back to when you were a kid and your upbringing with your parents and how it was that maybe your mother or father expressed love to you. You can kind of think of the pattern of the things that you learned. Uh, my father's love language uh, is gift giving. And he's just extremely generous and always, always just giving gifts. And I mean, it could be something nice, but it also something like piddly that he made. Like, oh, thanks. <laughs> this is weird. But I mean, it doesn't matter. It just, he's always giving. Um, and it, whether it was really expensive or cost a dollar, he just, he loves to give. So needless to say, that was the way that I have always felt loved and one of the ways that I like to show love to others because that's what I grew up learning. Now imagine when you're raised that way, but you end up marrying someone who doesn't even have gift giving anywhere on their list of languages they speak, like it's not even a thing. And before I share this example, it's important to note that my husband is extremely good at showing love in other areas that do make me feel loved. Um, but as for gift giving, it's just, it's just not his thing. And it's not how he feels loved and not a language that he ever experienced growing up either. So, which brings me to my shirt that I'm wearing today. So, as silly as this will sound, my husband got me a gift this, for Christmas, this t-shirt. And it's the most thoughtful gift he's ever given me. Isn't that funny? <laughs> it really is. Not because it was some grant. And in case you can't see, it says I'm a big deal, um, like pickled dill. And so, you know, obviously this wasn't some deep, meaningful thing. Um, 
But it spoke my language because it told me how much he thought about me. He went on Etsy. Okay, this is a person I didn't even know he knew what Etsy was, let alone order on it, to look for a shirt about pickles for me. And we have this running joke about my love for pickles and peanut butter sandwiches on toast. It's so good. Anyway, so that's our joke. So for Christmas, he not only thought about getting me this gift, which in itself was huge, but he thought about something about me, our pickle joke, and a gift, and then went to the work of finding it and ordering it. For a person whose love language is gifts, this was huge, especially we've been married I don't, over a decade. I'll just, I can't. And so to not really ever get gifts, and they're like, oh, you went on Etsy? You do love me still. So that spoke huge to me. So that's why I'm, like, I'm wearing my T-shirt today. Okay. So third, um, the, the third is our gift giving. The fourth love language is acts of service. And by acts of service, I mean doing things you know that your spouse or that person would like for you to do. You seek to please them by serving them, to express your love for them, by doing things for them. So consider actions such as cooking a meal, setting a table, emptying the dishwasher, vacuuming, changing a baby's diaper, picking up a prescription, keeping the car in operating condition. Those are, you know, all acts of service. They require thought, planning, time, effort, and energy. And if done with a positive attitude, they are indeed expressions of love. I think all of us moms would be receptive to this type of language. That would be very well received, I think. And lastly, the fifth love language is physical touch. And we have long known that physical touch is a way of communicating emotional love. Uh, numerous research shows in areas of child development that babies who are held, stroked, kissed, develop a healthier emotional life than, sadly, babies that don't ever get to experience that physical contact. And you all are moms, so you know this. Um, physical touch is also a powerful vehicle for communicating marital love. Holding hands, kissing, embracing, and intimacy are all ways of communicating emotional love to one's spouse. And for some individuals, physical touch is their primary love language. And without it, they feel unloved. And with it, their emotional tank is filled and they feel secure uh, in the love of their spouse. I have a friend who I don't think I've ever known anyone who is blatantly like that much their love language. Like if she's with you, She's stroking your hair. She's rubbing your back. Like, and she wants it. Like, you, you, it's like, do you need a, you need a hug. Like, it's we, I, I, I'm not like anti-hugger. Some people, I'm like in the middle, like, I'll hug you. I'm not anti, but she's like, you can just see it radiating off her, how much she needs physical touch. <laughs> um, so again, this may be another love language where you can think back to your childhood. Maybe you grew up in a home where lots of hugs were given, and you can see now that you have that need as an adult. Sitting close to your spouse on the couch as you watch your favorite TV show requires no additional time, but it could communicate loudly your love. Um, touching them as you walk by, giving them a hug or kiss when you leave or come back, those all can just speak volumes to someone whose love language is physical touch. So those are your five love languages, words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, and physical touch. So now I just want to apply that directly to our children. Uh, Dr. Chapman has a book that is tailored to the love languages of uh, children. 
So this one is specifically for, uh, to apply to your children. And I have two kiddos. I have a boy and a girl. Um, and in some ways, I see many similarities in them. I think just because they're both children and there are certain attributes that will be common in most children. But in many ways, they are very different. They express their love in different ways, and they feel loved in different ways. Uh, so for each of us, the most important thing we can do is make our children feel loved. And in order to do that, we must figure out what makes them feel loved. And I just want to share a quote from Dr. Chapman, um, his book on this. It says, by speaking your child's own love language, you can fill his emotional tank with love. When your child feels loved, he is much easier to discipline and train than when his emotional tank is running near empty. Every child has an emotional tank, a place of emotional strength that can fuel him through the challenging days of childhood and adolescence. Just as cars are powered by reserves in the gas tank, our children are fueled from their emotional tanks. We must fill our children's emotional tanks for them to operate as they should and reach their potential. So our job as mothers, as you already know, is an extremely important one. We have been given a wonderful privilege of loving our children. And in case you need this reminder today, God handpicked you to be the mother of each of your children. No one else. So in those moments where you feel inadequate, or maybe you feel you're doing a terrible job at this mothering thing, remember, God chose you to mother your children. And he put a supernatural desire in your heart to love them more than anyone else ever will. Uh, so it's an amazing privilege we've been given. And Dr. Chapman refers to showing our love um, our children love the way they need it as filling up their love tank. This is my love tank. My children were like, what is that? Like, this is your love tank. This is my visual, my visual aid. <laughs> so I was going to fill it with candy and give it away, but it smelled really bad of chemicals. So I chose to spare you of Hershey kisses that were chemicaled up. <laughs> okay. So for a child whose love language is words of affirmation, Compliments such as, your hair looks really nice, or great game tonight, go a long way with a child who thrives on praise. Your words could focus on personality, accomplishments, appearance, anything that is affirming to them. You know, giving a monetary reward to a child who seeks affirmation will just leave them feeling empty. Uh, you know, what about a child whose love language is acts of service? Well, in the early stages of life, we do things for our children that we, they can't do for themselves. And as they get older, our love is expressed by teaching them how to do those things for themselves. But for a child whose love language is acts of service, we need to know which acts of service are important to them. Do they feel loved when you help them with their homework? Do they feel loved when you play catch with them? You know, once you've discovered what act of service your child most appreciates, perform it often. And next, gifts. Children with this love language treasure gifts as tangible token of affection. 
And unfortunately, they can interpret a lack of gifts as a lack of love. And your gifts doesn't need to be expensive, and they don't need to be given every day. But just recognizing that a child prefers to be rewarded with a pack of gum rather than a hug is an important building um, in your communication with them. You could come home from a garage sale with a book or toy that costs a quarter, and that could mean the world to a child uh, whose love language is receiving gifts. Uh, quality time is a big one for both of my children. Uh, children who speak this uh, love language seek undivided attention. And when they're infants, we play with them on the floor and roll balls back and forth. And as they get older, that quality time, you know, changes and is found in conversations, bedtime stories, backyard sports. And it, the activity is not as important as the, just the time together is. Um, and for a child with siblings, it may be difficult to get that one-on-one -on -one time with mom and dad. And they just need to know that they are worthy of your undivided attention. Date nights with the child, playing board games together, or even reading them a book can just really add a lot of fuel to that love tank. And lastly, uh, let's talk about the child whose love language is physical touch. Again, we know that infants fare better when they have that physical touch. They need that. But as children get older, a lot of them still really long for that physical affection. Uh, it could be something as simple as a touch on an arm or a pat on a back or a hug. These gestures are especially important to the child with this love language. He wants to literally feel your love. And my children, as I'm sure probably a lot of yours, love to just lay down in bed and talk and cuddle. They want that cuddle time. And um, cuddle time is just greatly valued by children whose love language is physical touch. But it's also not limited to hugs and cuddles. It could be wrestling on the floor with dad. In fact, my son loves to wrestle his dad and me. And that's getting a little scary now that he's about to surpass me in height. And also um, curling up on your lap while you read or watch a movie. You know, my six-year-old can still make this work, but I kid you not, my 10-year-old son still asks to sit on my lap, I think only because it's his sister and it's a competitive thing, but it's, it's a, can I sit? And I kid you not, he's pushing 100 pounds, and it hurts really bad, like really bad. But I could never say no. I, if he were like 30 years old, I'd be like, sure, sit on my lap. Um, and it's important to take note of the flip side of these love languages, just the impact they can have, whether it's in general or when disciplining. For instance, a child whose love language is uh, words of affirmation will find emotionally harsh words and undue criticism extremely hurtful when that is their love language. Uh, a child whose love language is quality time is going to find isolation or time alone really difficult. Um, a son or daughter whose primary love language is receiving gifts is going to be crushed when a special event like a birthday or special occasion goes unnoticed. Uh, when at, interacting with someone whose love language is acts of service, the worst thing you could do is forget promises that you made to them or just flat out disregard their desires. And lastly, you know, a child whose love language is physical touch, I think it probably goes without saying that physical abuse or neglect would be detrimental to them when that is their love language. Um, so while I revisited Dr. Chapman's teaching for today, one area that he teaches on that was new to me um, 
is the five love languages of apology. I hadn't, I was not familiar with this, and the ironic thing is when I ordered it, I ordered it in Chinese, so if you know anyone who speaks Chinese, is that not funny? Like, this is about languages, and I'm like, this book is in Chinese. So, no, if you go to order this, you have to order the hardback to not get it in Chinese. So if you have a Chinese friend, you can gladly take this book to them. Okay, so that's how my life goes. So, well, anyway, I, I, this is very interesting to me. I had never um, read, much, read anything about this of his. And so I'm not sure if it was because it was new to me or not, but I found it extremely interesting. And this is the last thing I want to touch on. And while this can totally apply to your adult relationships with your spouse, friends, and family, I feel it's really important in regard to our children as we train them as well. So all of this talk about love languages boils down to the bettering of ourselves at relationships in our lives and just letting love be our loudest voice. And one crucial part of having and maintaining good relationships is the art of apology. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we're going to mess up. At least I know I do a lot, unfortunately. And we will inevitably hurt the ones that we love. In the Bible, we are told in Ephesians 4 to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So how do we obtain this forgiveness in Christ from God? Well, 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So from this verse, we hear the essence of apology. Confess. Forgiveness comes when we confess and apologize. So this is our model with our earthly relationships. There's an offense, we apologize, and forgiveness comes. A wonderful verse that we could teach our children in regards to this is Proverbs 28, 13, which says, Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. As mothers, we can be an example to our kiddos that people matter. Relationships matter. And that when we hide our wrongs, we will never succeed in that. But when we confess our wrongs and apologize, we will find mercy and forgiveness. We can help our kids understand that when we sin against God, what happens is described in the book of, of Isaiah, I'm sorry, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 59, it says, But your iniquities, your sins, have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face so that he will not hear. Our sin places a barrier between us and God, and it also happens in our earthly relationships, too. When we sin against another, it causes this great divide, a separation in that relationship that needs repairing. So as with the languages of love, the language of apology is often a learned behavior. Think back again to your childhood. Do you ever remember seeing your parents apologize, or maybe the example that they gave uh, that they gave you? And if so, how did they say it? Um, how did they approach the act of apology? Maybe you never witnessed a model of apology in your home. And if that's the case, some of us have to start at ground zero. But we can change that pattern for our children and give them an example of healthy and effective ways to apologize. 
And we all know from experience that when, we've, when we have been wronged and someone apologizes to us, we can tend to assess whether we believe they're truly sorry. And this factors in to how someone apologizes, how they say it, what do they say, and the language that we speak in that area. What are we hearing them say? Um, and so after various studies in this area, Dr. Chapman said that people fall into five basic categories in how they apologize. So there's also a language for this. I thought this was so interesting. So number one, um, expressing regret. Some, this is how some people apologize. And this can just be like a simple, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, however, we should never leave our apologies that simple. We should always be specific in what we're sorry for. We can help our children to be specific in their apologies. You know, I'm sorry for hitting you. I'm sorry for taking her toy out of her hands while she was playing with it. And um, the second language of apology is accepting responsibility. So when someone apologizes this way, they don't just say, I'm sorry. They say, you know, I'm sorry, I, I was wrong. And sometimes it's much easier to just say, I'm sorry than to admit <laughs> you were wrong to another person. However, many people do not sense a true apology just hearing I'm sorry. There are some people that, you're not really sorry. You wouldn't just say, I'm sorry. If that, you know, and that's what they hear. They don't, because that's my mind when my husband just says, I'm sorry. You're not really sorry. You have to say more than that. You know, because we're speaking those different languages of apology. I want to hear more than just, I'm sorry. Um, and so some people, if this is their language, want to hear that the other, hear the other person admit that they were wrong. It takes laying down our pride, but it can be necessary. Um, and the third language of apology is offering restitution. So this looks like, what can I do to make this up to you? How can I make this right? How can I fix this? And many of us have never even considered including this in our apology to others. You know, we, that might not even be on our radar, but that, you might be dealing with a person who that's how they need to hear it. Um, and then the next language of apology is genuine repentance. This is expressing a desire to change. This sounds like, I don't want to do this again. Can you help me come up with a plan to change this behavior? And for some people... That's what it means to apologize. And if you don't express a desire to change, that they won't sense that you're truly apologizing. There's this disconnect in what they're, they're saying and you're hearing. Um, and lastly, in the fifth language of apology is requesting their forgiveness. So will you please forgive me? I hope you can find it in your heart to forgive me. So why is it important to recognize, you know, with the love languages, and why is it important to recognize the different languages of apology? Because people often miss each other's efforts in apologizing. Um, just, just like the different love languages, we can all speak differently in our apologies. So recognizing the difference and also learning to speak so that the, those you love will hear what you're trying to say. So recognizing the effort and learning to speak the way they're going to hear it. Because you love them and you want them to really hear what you're trying to say. So you already know how important a mother's job is in training and teaching her children. Whether it's teaching them to go on the potty. Which was a terrible nightmare for me, by the way. I won't go there. Um, 
But if you need to feel better about your potty training processes, I will tell you mine, and you'll feel a lot better about it. So we could talk later if you want me to. Or whether you're teaching them to dress themselves, we must also model and teach them how to apologize when they've done wrong, whether it's to God or to others. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow my example as I follow Christ. We are our children's first example. My prayer is for each of us that God would equip us in modeling Christ-like behaviors such as these to our children. And I just want to close with one final thought. Um, as parents, as moms, we often become consumed in our children's success. What will they be when they grow up? What will they be good at? You know, what will their strengths strength be? So we, you know, can fill their schedules with activities Piano lessons, dance lessons, soccer practice, basketball practice, play practice, gymnastics. I mean, you name it. There are so many things we can have our kids involved in. And hopefully I won't be crushing anyone's dreams here. While those are wonderful things, the odds of your son and my son becoming the next football star, they're not very likely. The likelihood of your daughter or my daughter becoming a prima ballerina, probably not going to happen. However, the odds of your child growing up to become a husband or a wife, the likelihood of them growing up to become a mother or a father, the chances of them being a friend, a coworker, a church member, that's extremely likely. Today, you're raising a future spouse Today, you're training a future parent. So don't get stressed and consumed in those practices and extracurricular activities. Yes, they are wonderful things for your children. But instead, focus your mind and heart on equipping children to becoming professionals at relationships. Everything else in life just simply pales in comparison to the importance of people, to relationships. Help your sweet kiddos learn to love people the way they need to be loved. Help them not to hide their sin, but to apologize and rid all barriers that could stand between them and God and those they love. And I'm speaking to myself on all of this. Remember these special words from 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. May God equip each of us to communicate love in the most effective way possible so that, your, that love may be your loudest voice. Let it be your loudest voice. There are a few of you, I, if you would check under your chairs, I want to give these books out to you today. So if you, some of you have a heart, a little heart, because we're talking about love. And I just want you to come pick out a book. I doubt anyone will pick the Chinese one, but you're free to. Also, and you may want to look this up. Someone may pick this one. Um, this is a book for children that you can read with them to help them figure out what their love language is. Um, so, yeah, okay, that's not the Chinese. Okay, yeah, here we go. I'm like, don't take the Chinese one. So, um, all right, I got two books left. This one is to read to your kiddos. So if you want to look this up yourself, um, Dr. Chapman does have a book that is for, for you to read to your kids that goes over the love languages. Or this one, whichever one you want. You want that one? Oh, you have that one. 
is there another heart? You're going to have to look next to you. There should be one more heart. Oh, yay! Here you go. And just lastly, um, they'll give you this handout that's just the quiz if you want to figure out what your love language is, if you don't know what it is. Um, and also, if you are interested in learning more about it, you can go to his website. He has quizzes for children, but it's for older children. That's why the children's book can be helpful. But anyway, peace out, ladies. It's been fun. Y'all have fun. You're welcome. Have a good day.